Hello guys and welcome to your Una podcast. Today I have the pleasure to have Ben Sadler with us. He's a dear friend now and he's also a dear friend of, uh, or we have a common friend rather, called Daryl Moore who runs UD Football Club, United Dragons Football Club, where my son, Nico, who's 12, is playing. And that's how we first all met. And a lot of the time, good people do good things. And it just so happens that Daryl and Ben have joined forces a couple of years ago because Ben is running and he's the CEO of an amazing charity organization called Alive and Kicking. So I will start by telling you, the, I guess, the motto of the charity, because I quite like it. Alive and Kicking was set up for, uh, in 2004, excuse me, to create a better, healthier, happier, and more accessible society. The organization empowers individuals to impact the lives and livelihoods of themselves and those around them by producing amazing and very special sport balls. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit? I mean, it's, when I start like this, it seems it's, it's difficult. We need to define a little bit what Alive and Kicking is, where it came from. So what's the idea? Tell us a bit more. Yeah, I think that kind of connection towards a more accessible society and a sports ball is a bit of a strange one, isn't it? So, it is. Exactly how does that happen? <laughs> um, so we really have, we have three aspects of our work. And I think the core one around access is what we, t what we call make. So by, by manufacturing sports balls and then selling them, we're able to create employment for, for adults and vulnerable job groups. So these are people perhaps who have a disability, who have never been to school mm -hmm. and have never had any kind of formal work. And as you know, like if you if you don't have a job, it's very hard to to, to access society to participate. How do you get access to these people? If I may say so, how do how do they find you? How do you how do you find them? So we're very lucky. We have a, we have a network of local organisations. So we work in across sub-Saharan Africa, um, and in each of the countries we work, we have local organisations that are working with, for example, hearing impaired people right. or perhaps young adults who have come out of school and can't find work. So we're able to partner with them, and then they refer them to Alive and Kicking, and then we can. Um, create the employment opportunities. And I think what we've been able to, to measure over time from, from make in particular, this, this idea of producing a ball, is obviously by, by having the job and for, for all of them, you know, their first ever formal job, that income means they can, you know, put a roof over their heads for, for themselves and their families. It means yeah. they can access healthcare. It means they can access school. A lot of them go back to school. In fact, I think it's 85% um, of our staff have pay for their kids to go through school for the first time this is amazing um so it's all these things that kind of add to that idea of being able to access society how did this come to you in 2004 it started but um, it must have brewed before what what brought you to do this well i'm actually so it was it was a, it was a teacher in kenya where, where the idea came from um so he was teaching he's, he's, he's from the uk but he was teaching in, in kenya and had received many ball donations from the uk which is of course very kind but sure. Um, on, on a pitch in Nairobi, which is a bit tougher, the balls would last maybe a week at, at most. Um, and then young people just weren't able to play because it was no longer a ball. Um, so he thought, how can we can we produce balls that will, will last longer? Interesting. Um, so there is, it came from functionality. Sorry to yeah. catch you. I didn't realise there was the whole thing in a way started from the fact that the balls we were making were not tough enough. Exactly. Yeah. So it was never about like creating, it wasn't necessarily about creating jobs. It was about, mm. we just want young people to be able to go out and play and enjoy themselves. And at the moment, they haven't got that tool they can do it with so let's make a stronger more durable football so so now it brings us to the actual football themselves so you have to build they're different from the ones we kind of get in i guess a regular shop here in, in what way tell us so they're all handmade um, which mm -hmm. a lot of footballs these days aren't and we use local materials a lot of it is upcycled leather 
So we've actually um, we've turned old car seats, old airline seats, um, into sports balls, and also source our materials locally. Um, and that what we're able to do from that um, is produce a ball that basically lasts eight times longer than a, a standard one. Gosh, and with um, the same performance, I said, is it the same weight or are they yeah. heavier? They're the same it's, kind of uh, characteristics. FIFA, FIFA standard football. Um, so oh, it's wow, got all the incredible. same, um, the same things. And, Coming into sustainability here, because this is a big topic of ours, because you just, you, you touched it. How do you manage to source locally, you know, the materials that you were going to make the ball with? Because I know that it seems easy to say it, but it's not that easy to go and find, for example, leather and upcycle things, you know, mm. people tend to burn it, chuck it away. It's not like they're just ready to give it to the people who want it. So how did you kind of manage to get into that side of things? But we're quite tactical, to be honest, in the way that we set up. So before we open a centre, we do a whole lot of research. Um, we're actually in the process, and um, fingers crossed, of opening in Uganda. And we spent about nice. two years doing our research there. And part of that research is exactly where we can get materials from. Exactly. Okay. And if you kind of imagine a ball has six or seven ingredients, so you've got the kind of outer layers, which is the leather, you've got the bladders, you've got even the cotton for the stitching. Um, so making sure that we can get as much as possible. So, so where are you, in which countries are you at this moment? So at the moment, we're um, based in Kenya, Ghana and Zambia. Um, and like I say, hopefully within the year we'll be in Uganda as well. And then we have a UK base as well. Yeah. Nice. So uh, all this money, you, you're raising money and then you're obviously using this money to do, for example, the research for the next country and feed whichever country. Do you, does the charity feed itself in some countries? Because, you know, how do you maintain and grow, I guess? Yeah. So if, if you kind of see us as a whole network, um, about 80% of our income is through ball sales. Mm -hmm. And then there's 20% from from donations and fundraising. And like I say, that's very much about how we can grow. So the opening of Uganda, for example, is why we're raising money. Um, but yeah, 80% of us is, is funded purely through the sales of these sports balls. And kind of going back to the beginning, I suppose, where we talked about that access to society. Mm -hmm. So we've got this idea of make and making the ball creates the jobs. Um, and then what we do is we sell the balls and we actually use the income to then give young people access to sport and health education. So we are donating about 20% of the balls that we make every year. Um, and then we're training teachers, sports coaches in Kenya and Zambia That's what you want. to be able to mm -hmm. deliver HIV education, malaria education, mental health education, um, all through sport. Yeah. Well done already. There's more to come, but this is already quite impressive. Um, so we, we had a little chat before that, and there's, some, there's a big link with mental health that you were mentioning. Those, through this journey, I think there's a few things that not necessarily surprised you, but you know, came along with the journey that you and this big charity you were creating, and that's one of them. So can you tell us a bit about that? Certainly. I can say from the start that we didn't begin as an organization that was going to focus on mental health. Um, <laughs> I would say it was, it was a surprise when it all kind of came about, I think by accident, in that... I mean, you'll know this, like mental health, we've started to talk about it more over the last few years, um, right around the globe. Um, and when those conversations began, we began to look at the, you know, the impact data that we collect. We began chatting with our staff and we started to realize that actually some of the things we do already mm -hmm. are um, a great way of starting to build someone's emotional well-being. So, you know, having a full-time job is proven um, or having a job is proven to... May I, who diagnosed... I don't know if this is the word, but who diagnosed it? Was it you and your team realizing as you were kind of partnering with people locally that the, the need was there or that the mental health was affected and that what you were doing was helping it how did you who perceived that need was it obvious i guess or it was actually conversations with our with our center so um it was a team in kenya who had been they, we do a staff survey every year um and we just you know we ask questions like you know has a Lion king helped you access more services has it mm. helped you kind of provide for your family etc um and then these themes around 
mental health just started to appear. And it was actually one of our staff in Kenya who had chatted to us and said, look, this is maybe something we should start to think more about. Um, and then the other aspect kind of naturally fit into it. So our sports programs are giving young people access to sport and regular exercise, mm-hmm. which again is a proven way to improve emotional well-being. And then um, our health programs. Um, and I'll be honest, again, mental health was not a focus for our mental health programs at, at the start. But the more conversations that we've had with our local partners and the more that it's kind of got on the agenda, we've, that's why we've brought it in. Um, if I, I don't want to resume it to this, but it's funny that it seems that it was two, a succession of accidents in a way. I mean, the first one is like, you know, the footballs were not strong enough and there was a need for better footballs and that led to this big creation. And then again, from those services, it's interesting that I'm not saying you haven't, you hadn't foreseen all of that, but they just, it, it comes to you when you don't expect it, I guess. It's a bit like life. I, I like this and I like that you responded to it. So now, how many people work in Alive and Kicking? So we have at the moment um, 125 staff. Um, so we have two in the UK and then the rest are based in our, in our centres. And then we have a network of about 250 volunteer teachers and sports coaches who are delivering the kind of sports-based health programmes, in particular the mental health programme that we launched. launched so tell us year. more about, I mean, I, I think everyone can understand a bit what training someone to become a football coach can look like, although it's quite precise. But So what is the mental health training that we're speaking of? So the key thing for us is all of our education is delivered within coaching sessions. So it's not about kind of playing sport and then going and sitting down to the side and talking about something. It's about doing it in the game. So playing through right. messages. And we began with HIV programs about 10 years ago and have been delivering like that. The mental health program started because it's what our local partners asked for. Um, actually, we, we were having a little chat about this before. Um, the, the mental health program is, it's, it's an education program. We're not claiming that we're treating mm-hmm. mental health. Um, we actually signpost people to professional support, but this program is very much about building knowledge which then has an impact on a young person's behavior and attitudes to mental health. So within the program, we talk about like what mental health is, like even questions like, you know, who has mental health? And a lot of people say, well, I I don't have it. You know, we've all got mental health, just like we have physical health. I mean, it's just simple things like that. And then we go into- So awareness for, I mean, just who who am I? Is this healthy self, you know, this is the first step. Exactly. How old are the kids or the people that you are, you know, not training, but I guess, taking into this this field of an awareness. Mm. Are they mostly kids, really young kids, teenagers, or I don't know, adults? It's well, so that the people who are running the programs, they're from 18 plus. These are okay. youth leaders, so they may be teachers. But then the actual people, the beneficiaries of the programs are normally from about nine nine years old up, right up to 18. Yeah. So Is, there, is there a reason why, I'm, I'm just asking, but is there a reason why nine? Is it because it, why not, you know, four, five, six years old? Is it too young to access this not just the mental health programs talking here, but you know, playing football, I guess. I think it's more just who our partners are at the moment. I think it's we've actually in conversations at the moment with, with dropping it down to some lower age groups. Mm-hmm. It's just happened that the partners we work with are working with that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly it's it's it seems that it's the kind of program that's accessible for and how is the how, how do people locally welcome live alive and kicking? Is it mm-hmm. always amazingly welcome and people you know, is it galvanizing and energizing or sometimes have you I guess, in like in any project, have you had a few hurdles to So face? Certainly. I think one of the key things for us, I'd say, so we are, um, like our Kenyan centre is run locally. So it's not about the UK kind of having this organisation over in Kenya. It's a, we, we are all in kind of on level with each other and it's a Kenyan organisation and it's run by the local community. So mm-hmm. that helps. From the health side, though, we certainly have. I think um, stigma is a big challenge and it has been with our HIV programmes and malaria programmes and with mental health. And I'm sure, you, you know, often talking about mental health can cause a lot of issues within communities. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had to be very careful with that. And that's why we talk about, you know, we're a 
we don't give advice necessarily. We just give information. We're not telling people that mm-hmm. they should do this and that. We're just telling them what mental health is, telling them how they can identify poor signs of mental health. We're talking about how you might improve your mental health. And then they're taking that knowledge. It's suggestive in a way. I just want to compare this because I work with an organization in Senegal called Le Corsa and it it's focuses on, on young ladies because there's a big issue there about FGM you might know about yeah. and it's, it's been now taken again through a very strange twist of some religions. Anyway, it's an all debate altogether. But what was interesting, we've been there a couple of times and Le Corsa has been there for nearly 35 years. But... Once in a while, there's, there's an emergence of some kind of fraction who's really against it. And they, because they're, they're, they're strong in a way, or they, they kind of, they, they brainwash people into it. And they create, and it's, it's incredible because this organization is nothing but good. It's really not lucrative. It's just, it's a pure charity. It does the best work it can do. And yet it creates animosities. And it's, it's a funny, you have to, manage it not day to day but not far off and sometimes you know they came and broke some pieces you know they yeah. build a hospital and it was vandalized you think really i mean it's incredible and but to understand the mechanism what's happened there is interesting too and you don't want to be there like you know the white guy coming in and also like you said you're here with the community and you know you want the local people to be involved and but yet we have had issues with lacosta so i was wondering if that was something that you faced but maybe because as long as you play football, people are like, yeah, it's just football. But as soon as you just switch into mental health, for example, people can say, hang on, what are you trying to brainwash my son in? Or, you know, what are you trying to say to my son that he should think differently? And I'm, so I'm just curious, but I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've, throughout the time we've actually, um, we, as well as delivering programs, we help develop programs. And we developed a, an FGM program in Northern Tanzania mm-hmm. for an organization. And whilst we were out there, when we were developing the program, you, you, like you've had, you know, you have these conversations with, with families. And, you know, they, they say, oh, FGM is wrong, but they also know that if their daughter doesn't it. doesn't have it, then they won't be accepted by the community it's, and their daughter will be pushed out. And those are the kind of things you can't just go in there and say, well, that's wrong, so you shouldn't. Um, and I think the way we, way we kind of talk about it is, you know, we are in there giving knowledge and it's about generational change, I suppose. So, you know, understandably, there are these cultures and things that have been around for a long time. And it's about, you know, educating young people about these kind of things and hopefully they'll... And this is my point with the age, because this is interesting that in Senegal, for example, it happens around 12. I'm not, sorry, we're shifting the debate here, but it's, you know, and, and therefore you don't even have time. You know, it happens too soon to be able to educate that generation. It's already up, it's done. And then, you know, yeah. so this is one of the big issues. Where and how do you access it before it happens? But mm-hmm. um I want to come back on mental health because you know that this is something I also work a lot with. But I, I want to, can you describe a bit more a session? Because I know that you use, as you were saying before, you're using the sport and the ball and the game, as it were, yeah. to ask those questions. So you kind of, you bring it together. So how, how would you call it even? Is it, how do you call it for them? Is it just a different kind of football session? Do you say it's a mental health slash football session? How do you label it? Yeah, so, so all of our sessions are delivered in three stages. So you, you start with just football. So a young person would arrive at a session that they, they go to every week and they'd have no idea that this was going to turn into a health session. So the coach begins the session and they play it until everyone understands how the game works. So if you might, just to give you a really simple example, if you imagine um, three kind of small-sided football pitches next to each other, numbered one to three, um, and you'd have the players all on pitch one and they're playing back and forth. And then the coach will shout pitch two, and they all move to pitch two and continue playing. And then pitch three, 
and they all move and continue playing. It's a very gradual change. Mm-hmm. So once they understand that, the coach will bring them in and say, right, what we're looking at here is signs of poor mental health. Now, we're going to talk about mood changes. And when you change football pitches, that means that your mood is changing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then they go, okay, that makes sense. So then they go back and now they have this message in their head. They're now playing as if it's their mood changing every time they move. And what the coach will then do is he'll he'll do it gradually. He or she will do it gradually. And then they'll start changing the pitch to extreme. So one, three, one, three. And they're going back and forth. And suddenly there's these extreme changes of mood. And the coach brings them back in. And the kind of third part of the session is probably the most key. It's the debrief. Mm -hmm. And they will sit them down. And they'll say, you know, what happened in that game? We've talked about mood changes. Oh, well, to begin with, it was gradual. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's all of us have mood mm-hmm. changes depending on what happens during the day. But then it started to get really extreme. Okay, what does that mean? And then they start thinking about, you know, if, if that's something they're experiencing, perhaps I'm not saying it is, but it could be a sign of poor mental health. I see. So it's, use it, it's, a, it's an analogy, really, using yeah. the game. But hang on, so I understand it properly. So as as you switch from do you you do you say okay when you play on pitch one you play with a happy thought and when you play on pitch three you play angry or whatever yeah did you associate kind of a feeling or, or it's funny those are kind of, so we, we try and keep the messaging as as simple as possible but those things happen so that's see that the young people start to talk about it and we've actually we were watching some sessions there recently and when they go back and do those sessions again that starts to happen so they talk about the fact that this is a bit more of an energized game and then they get to the top one and it slows down a bit. And then they, they can discuss after the game, you know, the kind of the in-depth about how that feels. So what's the protocol? So you, let's say you would do it once and then this is not every training, or is it every training you do? No, it's some particular ones that are just... So most, most of our coaches would deliver one session a week. So about 20 minutes to half an hour. And we have a, a full curriculum. So we're not just talking about signs of poor mental health. We're looking at there are sessions on where you can seek professional support. There are sessions on what mental health is, on stigma, on, on lots of different things. And they'll work through a, a um, curriculum across the year. And our our kind of ask to the coaches, and this is where it's, this is how we get long-term sustainability is they're fitting into existing sessions. Mm-hmm. So if you're a teach, yeah. teacher doing PE sessions, you're doing it anyway. So here you've got a sports session, which you can deliver, he or she can deliver. And just adding a, a health message in it fits in nicely. How does boys and girls fit in all this? Is it mostly boys, I guess people would expect, but or is it not? It's interesting to split. So we actually, it's 50, at the moment, our beneficiaries are 52% female. And so it's just over. Amazing. Yeah. We're bringing in more, we're bringing in a bigger range of sports, so rugby, netball, um, and we think that'll help kind of keep a, a good balance as well. Who put this program together? Who, you know, who, did, was it your idea to, 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 put it, to put this together? Or did you see it somewhere else? Were you inspired by something? In terms of the health programming specifically? Yeah. yeah. So that's, again, that's talking about kind of things happening by accident. Um, again, we didn't start, we started as a, you know, to produce a board and give people access to sport. And then it was as we grew our networks, we were talking to our local organisations and it was like, how can we help you? Um, and we could have delivered things ourselves. We could have went, you know, we're going to go and deliver sessions directly to young people. But through those conversations, it was about, we can empower existing organisations. Um, and yeah, it's through, through all of us, really. Like we, the kind of people, the staff, who a lot of us have sports backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, football coaches, sports players. Um, and we've learned from other, from other programmes, other organisations. And, and Do you have this in the UK as well? We've started to do it, yeah. So um, COVID-19, we actually developed a, a COVID program that can be delivered. You can actually play it on your own if you want when, when lockdown is at its most severe, but also in smaller groups. Um, and that's been going up digitally. It's actually been used. It's been used to, used in all of our countries, but also in places in Australia, in the States, in the UK. Nice. Um, so tell us about that, because 
that brings me to another question I have for you is that we've all been through this pandemic now for nearly a year. And for those of us who have kids, we know how tricky it is. And I just want to touch a little subject here that is even relates to me a lot, but most people I've been around because I treat a lot of kids and, and, and teenagers, I guess, they don't like to be called kids. And the thing is, I realize, and we, we, we talk about this a lot, the three pillars of, of health being um, well-being in terms of physicality, emotion, but also social well-being that we, we mentioned before. And for once, it seems that all those three pillars are affected. And to, to take the example of my son, who's quite a sporty boy, we sometimes do exercise together in the morning. And about a week ago, we were doing this, and I realized he could, or he realized rather, he couldn't do half of what he can do normally. It was a real mm. shock to him. And I'm talking here doing pull-ups. He could do 10 in a blink, and now he can hardly do five. And I was like, what a, an amazing change in not that long of a period as well. And of course, he's in his now bedroom on Zoom for about three quarters of the day, you know, and we don't go out and he doesn't, of course, he doesn't do his football, he doesn't do his gymnastics, but also he doesn't do all the little games that he was doing at lunchtime with his friends. And, you know, in, in essence, he was playing football every day with his mates. And I, and it was really shocking to him and really felt, oh, wow, I can't believe that I've lost this, these muscles. I'm like, this is what you were saying, because in the same way that applying yourself to play a game makes you feel better emotionally to lose that will also have an a really bad deterioration of your mind I mean, it all kind of works together we know that so now i'm i'm what have you felt in the last year when all those kids that you follow you know do you did you find that okay maybe emotionally were affected physically they were affected maybe socially they were affected what, what's what's happening i think all three for sure and 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 the same in all the countries that we work mm. um young people have really been affected by like you say just that social interaction, they missed out on that regular exercise. Um, and like I say, yeah, it's impacted every country that we work in. That's interesting as well, because we think, we always think of us so differently in all countries, but you realize when something hits, we're just all the same and everything just hits yeah. us more or less the same. I think it's, it's just that access is, I think a lot of sport, depending on where you are, but a lot of sport is, is organized sport. Mm -hmm. So being able to, you know, like, you know, like, like United Dragons, like when that, when that's not on, a lot of young people aren't, they aren't able just to go outside and go and play in the field because the organized sport isn't there. Um, so that's certainly, and from a UK basis, that's certainly been a, a big one as well. Um, but that's a very good point, sorry to interrupt you, because there are very few sports that young kids up to 15 do on their own. Mm -hmm. They're not gonna go and swim on their own. They're not gonna go for a jog. You just don't do it, you know, you do it later on in life. You're not gonna go on a cycle for two hours. Sport, exercise rather, is always associated with some kind of task or fun or, mm -hmm. The sport of it so you know you just don't do it for the exercise itself so once you've lost that cohesion from yeah. people getting together there's nothing left mm. you know and i'm going to have my boy do some yoga and pilates every day i mean he'll do it once just for kicks but he's not going to regularly wake up and say, oh let me do my stretches i mean it's just not going to happen yeah. and i don't know what's the so how do you how do you pallet to this what do you what do you suggest so this this one uh, exercise video that you were talking about how many programs do you have well, that's it. So I mean, for us, we've done, we started off, um, so we have a COVID-19 program that's purely sports-based and it's, there's kind of three versions of it. There's one that you can just do at home on your own and you mm -hmm. can access that. We have online resources, but also printable resources for, mm -hmm. for organizations and young people that can't access the internet. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, another program that's, as people are coming out of, of restrictions, you can do it in small groups. And again, it's, it's a bit, um, it's about playing and, and um, but it's also about understanding what's happened. So what is COVID? Like, what, what, what is this virus? What does that mean? What does it mean for the future? Am I going to, is this going to affect me in 10 years time? So those kind of things. 
Um, and that's, like I said, that's been rolling out across all our countries. But I must just mention as well another um, initiative which has been completely driven by some students near our office in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they came to us about 18 months ago, way before any of this was happening, But um, and they asked if they could borrow a ball. We said, yeah, of course, no worries. Mm-hmm. So they borrowed a ball and they went and played with it on one of the local kind of um, uh, courts, football mm-hmm. courts, and they brought it back. Um, we then did this with them and then other other kids from the college about 400 times and every time the ball came back. So we chatted to them and we said, look, why don't we, why don't we turn this into something? Let's turn this into a football library. Um, and they went, brilliant. And then we started to put this together before lockdown happened, um, and by which point we managed to get some funding. And then before, just beforehand, we started to open these, like, these ball libraries mm-hmm. in actual libraries. So you could go in just like you borrow a book and you could borrow a ball for free. Um, and luckily we've got it all set up before having it. And then why all this has been happening, people have been able to access, when it's been safety, to be able to access a ball and go off and play with it. Um, and we're now, we're just in the process of opening 260 ball libraries oh, wow. across the UK. Gosh, this is so fast. Um, I mean, so where do you, where, where, where are they? In actual libraries? Where, where do you actually... So it's a mixture of organisations. We've, we've got them in, in food banks. We've got them in, in actual libraries. We've got them in community organisations, in churches. Um, and the idea is that anyone nice. can go in and borrow the ball and it's like giving them just that that, that key trust, resource they need, yeah, but also the got, trust. And the, you know, you know, say, look, we, I trust you that you're going to bring yeah. it back, and that's empowering always to trust. It's funny you say people. that. Actually, one of the great, great quotes you've got is when one of the one of the young lads um, in the college had heard about this and came over and went, "Can I borrow a ball?" And I went, "Yeah, sure." And he went, "Why? Why would you give it to me? Why would you ever trust me?" And he was like, oh, "It's all right. You're going you're to bring it back. Don't worry about it." And he was like, "This is brilliant." And of course, he did. He brought it back, and. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a huge trust, trust element to it. I like it. And, and so now I'm just looking back again. I don't know, we're jumping back into the balls themselves. So how do you, where are they, these balls? Because this is, these ones, obviously, the kids can borrow, but you, you need to sell them because it's a big yeah. revenue for the whole, the whole association. So where can we find them? I guess on the website, of course. But are you in the shops as well? Like, you know, the big, whatever, so sports you can, shops? You but... can find us on um, kind of social supermarkets online now. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like you say, we have a small shop in, in Hoxton and our online shop. We are just about to release a new ball. Um, so our, like I say, our balls are traditionally kind of upcycled leather, which is brilliant for kind of tougher ground, not necessarily for, for grass out on Regent's Park. Um, so we're just about to release a, a synthetic um, um, ethical football that will hopefully open us up to a, a bigger market. Yes. And um, yeah, hopefully you'll see us, see us in some stores soon. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to it. So what's the price range? I don't want, not in the, but are you in the, are balls all the same price? I don't know, I realise I haven't bought a football for a while. <laughs> That's right. No, so yeah, we're, we're kind of within, so we start at £10 and go up to 25 So it's just right. like, That's you know, classic way. Nike and Adidas. And- so how do you communicate, I guess? I mean, obviously, this is a way to communicate, but how, how would you communicate, you know, how do you, because you're against such big, brands right yeah. and what how, how can we help you but how tell me what's the strategy there you know obviously you're doing all the right things so you you want to have as much exposure as possible mm. so what's the strategy there well that's it's really good question i'm glad you asked it because it's something i think we can do more of um we have lots of conversations you know we've been around since 2004 it's a decent amount of time but a lot of people don't know who we are mm-hmm. um and i think often as a as a charity you're you're careful about you know, where you put your resource and you don't necessarily want to be seen to put too much on marketing and advertising. Mm. But for us, actually, it's slightly different in that, you know, the more you balls we sell, the more impact exactly. we have. And we're realizing that now. Um, I mean, I, when I hear all this, and, and I knew a bit of it through through UD Football Club, but I, I'm trying to, if you are, if you have a football club, why would you not use 
your balls. I mean, you know, I mean, like, everything fits, right? You know, you're doing something good. It makes no sense to have any other, really, you know, and if, especially if they're even tougher, they last longer. I mean, look, the list goes on. So, do, I don't know how to say this, but why would not all the English football yeah. clubs only have this ball, for example? Yeah. You know, why Why is it not do schools or whatever? Well, that's that's a huge mark. So, like I said, with this new ball, I mean, we've chatted to Daryl and United Dragons and they've um, committed to using the balls. And like I said, there's no reason the quality is, is, is as good, if not better. Um, and, and the story, there's no other organisation, there's no other ball producer in the world that is not for profit like we are. Like 100% of the money that we bring in is then invested back into the community through the things that we've talked about. Um, so we have such a strong story. But yeah, I mean, this is the year actually that we are, we're trying to push it a bit more. Like we're just about, we're going to be on um, FIFA, the computer game. Oh, good. Um, which is exciting. This is, this is big. But I think it should be actually, you know what, the first place this should be on, and I'm sorry to say, it should be in the premiership. At the end of the day, you know, what if that was it? And every time they start a game, we're doing this for like, you know, not just, to, but that's where that's where it should be, really. They should yeah. know. I mean, does the FIFA know? I mean, I guess they do, but yeah, we do. or the UEFA, or I don't, know, I don't know the name of the organizations. Maybe not the FIFA. So we do, I mean, FIFA and UEFA, we, so we actually, we deliver programs alongside them and they use our balls, particularly for their, for their African programs because we, we can and create the, uh, make the balls locally. Mm. But I do think... One of, one of the challenges has been like the materials that we use for the ball and they're perfect for a, a pitch in Nairobi, but okay. not necessarily um, for a pitch in, in London or... Which or, is what you're working on now. So this new so ball you've changed that. Now. What's the difference? I'm just curious. Technique, what's the... It's just, it's, it's mainly material. So it's um, it's that outer material. So like the kind of traditional leather ball, which was probably used in the UK professionally maybe 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, it's still, you can still have a FIFA standard football. It's just, um, it's a bit tougher. It soaks in a bit more moisture. Whereas the synthetic, they just they move a bit more. Um, they're not quite as durable, right? Um, but they're a bit softer, so they're a bit. Um, so we are two thousand and twenty-one. You started in two thousand and four. What's? <laughs> you're gonna hate this question. But what's the plan at five or ten years? What, what you know? Where is Alive and Kicking going? Do you are you gonna go and try and be in twenty-five countries in Sub-Saharan Africa, or bigger in the UK, or bigger in Europe? You know, what do you think is? We want to think everywhere, but where is the best place? Do you think? that you're trying to grow into anyway yeah i think generally the key word is access and we want to give more people access and so more people access to jobs more people access to sport more people access access to health education and health care mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of leads back to that access to society mm -hmm. in terms of where we expand from um we do have so we're kind of production wise at the moment we're sub-saharan based and that's been the focus since the beginning we are not opening that up because there's more interest from elsewhere so i do think you'll see in the next five years hopefully two or three more production centres. How many balls a year do you manufacture at the moment? At the moment, about 100,000. Nice. So we've actually, um, we've actually just made over a million, although it's a secret at the moment. We've just made over a million, which is great. Um, but we're also alongside opening centres, we're actually supporting organisations to set up their own micro ball production as well. Oh. So as an example, we've just been working in a, in a refugee camp in, in northern Kenya. Nice. We've been training up um, local people to set up their own enterprise mm. and they're actually producing balls now for UNHCR programs or the Olympic Refuge um, Council, their programs as well. So there's kind of two different It's amazing. Models. I just I just feel, you know, I first I feel bad. I should know a lot more. You know, why do we not know more? You know, I, I just, I can see, I mean, you know, this job, what are you doing? The narrative, the way it's growing, the way it seems to be embraced wherever you, you apply yourself seems to be working so you just you know it just needs just something to explode even a bit bigger and quicker so do you 
now it's, it's a full-time job for you, right? Again, to, yeah. to manage all these people and all these things. And yeah. So this is what you do day in, day out. So Were you a coach as well? So I used to, yeah, I used to be a coach a long time ago. I was a very bad footballer, actually. <laughs> Terrible goalkeeper. Um, and then I quickly realized that I wasn't good enough. But um, no, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned about kind of our work. So we have two full-time staff and two part-time in the UK. And I think capacity has always been one of our challenges, particularly for for um, getting our name out there. So that's what, you know, we're always looking for people who might be interested in helping us get that name out or giving us a platform to, to kind of spread well, the news. Hopefully this is going to work uh, a little bit further. But also, Ben, I want to say that I would love um, if you want one day for Una, because we, I want to I want to share those programs as well, because I think now that you've managed to, to really merge those two aspects of have, having some fun, understanding new things, understanding ourselves better, I, you know, it can only, we can only grow from there. So um, I hope that we'll manage one day to put something together and maybe a video that we can share on the UNA platform for the, the kids that follow us as well. There's quite a few and there'll be more and more, I think. This is the aim because I think we're trying to tackle this uh, rather rapidly because there's a big need and we realize, yeah, it's just, I, I, I'm a bit, and I'm saying this with a lot of empathy, but I think the schools have bounced extremely quickly at, at, at the curriculum. I'm talking about the academic curriculum and they did a good job during the first lockdown. I mean, I'm speaking for my kids' school, but most schools really have done a great job at it. But I realized that it seems they have totally forgotten the schools. Like they, there's nothing, nothing at all. And I suggested it to the school uh, where my son goes. And I think, you know, I remember, and that sounds a bit cringe or funny, whichever. I woke, when I was a little boy and my grandmother would wake up, she would have a little routine, right? She would wake up and she would turn her elbows one way and the other way and just arms in the air, a couple of squats. It looked really funny. I was here with little boys and we were just taking the mickey of her doing this. But she was religious and she did it every morning and every night. And it was something that was part of their life that they had learned and they just did it. And I just thought, you know, something as simple as that, you know, the kids come on the Zoom first class, they all come and the night's 8, 8, 30 in the morning. And there you would have someone who say, okay, this is a, we're going to wake up the brain in a minute. Now I want to wake up the body. Let's stand up, arms in the air, you know, and the little ones love it, you know, that's your nose, that's your, but it works for everyone, you know, go backwards, stretch a bit, whatever it is, maybe breathing mechanism, you know, breathing exercise on Tuesday, stretching on Wednesday, warming up, jump, jumping jacks and whatever. And I find it can't be that difficult. And I think it's just, it would do a lot because you would remind them as well that they have a body. I think this is the thing. When you're sitting down in front of this computer all day, you tend to, you know, this just, you, you disempower your physicality. You just become, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, actually, I'm not sure this is really amazing. It's really looking for the brain either. But anyway, this is an all conversational together. Ben, anything else you'd like to tell us about Alavi Kicking? I think we're, we're, we're getting to the end of, of this chat. I learned a lot. Thank you very much. Again, I feel a bit bad not knowing more <laughs> about Alive and Kicking. I will definitely share the love about it. And I hope that um, that we can do a lot together with Una, but also um, working with Dowell and United Dragons. I think this is the more the merrier. All, all, all of us, I guess, work towards one thing is to try and share uh, what we've learned. We're a bit older than those kids that we look after. And, you know, if we can make the life a bit better, um, we're in whole humility, but that would be really nice. Um, so... Guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot as well. And I hope that you're going to buy a football from Alive and Kicking. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. See you soon. All the best. Bye-bye.